What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, back with another Week 8 college football preview, and we have one of the best rivalries in the country this Saturday night when the USC Trojans make their way into South Bend to take on the number 13-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish in one of the more storied matchups in college football today. Right now, Notre Dame is a seven-point favorite over the Trojans in a game that kicks off live on NBC, 6.30 p.m. Central Time. And as storied and competitive as this matchup is, these two teams enter this enter this game in two very different places. you got Notre Dame on the verge of fighting their way back into the top ten while you have the Trojans looking just to stay above 500 with an interim head coach after a very tumultuous 2021 season, looking to use this win to maybe – you know, spark a late Pac-12 run to end their season and salvage what they can. But looking at the storylines for these teams, the Fighting Irish enter off a much-needed bye week as they were banged up at multiple important positions, missing many key players. But now they're rested. You know, a lot of these guys are going to be back this weekend. So now the Irish are loaded up for a huge run late in the season for a possible New Year's Six Bowl appearance and or a long shot playoff chance where they maybe can enter themselves in the discussion based on all the chaos that we've already seen this season as their only loss is to number two ranked Cincinnati in South Bend just a few weeks ago. But Brian Kelly's team can never be counted out. So look for the fighting hours to be extremely motivated as they enter this very, very important game against the Trojans. Now on the other sideline, you know, USC enters this matchup also off a of bye week, also much needed, especially when you look at what a crazy season it's been for them after the firing of Clay Helton. They've went two and two since that since that move was made. But a win this weekend could be very interesting and possibly spark that Pac-12 run that can really improve that bowl game standing for USC. And if the Pac-12 chaos, which we've seen it strike year after year, does happen, the USC can find themselves sneaking into the Pac-12 championship game, you know, and really try to rebound from last year, losing that game to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. So both these teams are going to come in motivated, chip on their shoulder with a lot to play for. But this storied matchup dates back to 1926, guys. The Fighting Irish lead this series 47-36 to with five ties. And right now the Fighting Irish are on a three-game win streak. But you know with a rivalry game, you could throw the records out the window. Each team has been dominant in certain eras. And you and this, this one is one of the most competitive rivalries in the country. So expect everything and anything this weekend when these two teams match up. But moving forward to the keys of the games, we've set the stage with the storylines. we got to figure out what do these teams need to do to get, get a win this weekend. So for the Fighting Irish, it really lies in being balanced in their offensive attack this weekend. It's been the number one thing that's been missing from this team this year compared to the college football run they made with the 2020 team. Yes, the passing game is is working with Cohen and that, you know, stable of quarterbacks that have been rotating in and out this year at times. But the run game has really been missing as Kyron Williams has not been able to replicate the success that we saw the fighting average have on the ground last, you know, last year. You know, you look at this running attack. Let's just start with there. 
They've really struggled. Less than 100 yards rushing per game right now and less than three yards per carry for the season. The offensive line is not dominating the line of scrimmage this year, and Kyron Williams has not been able to be that explosive running back that we saw last season for the Notre Dame team. He's rushed for 363 on the ground, less than four yards per carry, and four rushing touchdowns now. A key piece that was missing against Virginia Tech was Chris Tyree, the backup running back, 112 yards and a touchdown. Also, huge kick return in in that um, in in that game against Wisconsin. But he was held out of Virginia Tech with turf toe, and Brian Kelly said that Ty, that Tyree has been cleared for this weekend and will officially be back in the rotation this weekend for the Fighting Hours. So that'll be a huge addition to help Kyron Williams out with this rushing attack. But USC is allowing almost 150 yards on the ground right now and almost two touchdowns per game. If there's a game Notre Dame should be able to get this rushing attack working, it should be this weekend against USC. So that's why being balanced is the key because they have a great chance of trying to establish something on the ground to help out these quarterbacks. Now, the quarterback situation in South Bend has been a wild storyline all season long. We've seen Jack Cohen, Tyler Buckner, Drew Payne. All these guys have seen action this season, including Cohen last week starting, being replaced by Buckner, Cohen being put back in against Virginia Tech. But Cohen this weekend should be the first guy on the field. Kelly said that he's the guy they feel most comfortable, gives them a chance to win. Jack Cohen over 1,200 yards passing, over 61% completion percentage, 10 touchdowns and three picks, while Buckner only has 191 yards to the air, two touchdowns and three picks with less than a 46% completion percentage, which is not great. So Cohen is definitely the better option right now. But luckily, Cohen this weekend should have some chances against this USC secondary that does have some weaknesses on the back end. He has to continue being efficient over the middle with his intermediate passing game, though. That's where he has an 85 PFF passing grade, pro football-focused passing grade this season, his highest average of the season. And on top of that, avoiding turnovers is key. When this Notre Dame offense protects the ball, that's when this team is it really makes an impact because their defense is good enough to get some stops as long as you're not giving teams favorable field position. That was the number one thing against Cincinnati that really cost them that game was the turnover battle, throwing a pick in the red zone to Ahmad Garner and then really stalling out their drives. This USC offense is too good to give extra possessions and favorable field position because you look at what the Irish do, they have to move the ball, and Cohen needs to distribute and play within the offense. Because if you give Keaton uh, Slovis short fields all game long, USC is going to get a big upset in South Bend. So Cohen has to play within himself, be efficient, and don't turn the ball over and let his playmakers go make plays for him. That's the key for Notre Dame. Now for USC, the key really starts and ends with this passing game. That's been the that has been the focal point of this team. And Keaton Slovis averaging over 315 yards per game this season with over two touchdowns per game has been the focal point himself. He's been the face of this offense for over two years now. And when this passing game is clicking, this USC offense is taken to another level. So it's going to be the key for USC this weekend. And Slovis coming into the season with all the hype as a potential Hosman candidate, a potential first-round draft pick, this season he's had to face the most adversity that he's faced yet, getting benched one game, 
for uh, Jackson Dart. He gets hurt, gets thrown back in the lineup. So this game could go a long way in determining whether Keaton Slovis can salvage this season along with this program. He's only completing about 64% of his passes, over 1,500 yards, nine passing touchdowns, but has five interceptions. But Slovis still ranks second in passing yards in passing yards in the Pac-12, fourth in passing touchdowns, and fourth in pass completion percentage. So he's still producing at a high level, even if it may be one of his down years up to this point. But you look at what he's done off of play action, though. That's that's where I want to work. That's where I want to go with this. Slovis off the play action, his passing grade jumps all the way to a 90.6 compared to a 75 not working off the play action, when this offense can get that running game going and Slovis can work off of it. Off the play action, he's completing over 76% of his passes, four touchdowns, no picks, and six big-time throws this season. They don't run the play action often, but when it, when they can, when it's, when it's working, USC becomes a different offense and really can make some moves down the field. Now, the Trojans have really relied on one of the best wide receivers in the country. It all starts with Drake London, who has over 60 catches already this season, over 800 yards, five receiving touchdowns, and it shows you how how big of a focal point he is where the next highest receiver in this offense only has 22 catches. London has one of the highest receiving grades in the country with over a 90, and that is one that's easily one of the highest in the Pac-12 and definitely the country. So Drake London is going to be an X factor for this passing attack. But then you also got Taj Washington, 22 catches, 277 yards and a touchdown. Gary Bryant, almost 200 yards receiving, three touchdowns. And then Keontae Ingram and and Malap and Malapay at running back both have combined for over 22 catches alone too so watching them out the backfield is going to be key for Notre Dame this weekend but when you look at that running game with Ingram and Malapay against this Notre Dame rushing rushing defense allowing over 120 yards per game they're going to have to help Slovis establish the play action and give him some favorable matchups down the field against a very talented secondary headed by Kyle Hamilton at safety, who I think is probably the best safety in college football right now. But Ingram has rushed for over 400 yards, three touchdowns, while Malapay has rushed for over 202 touchdowns. They're going to have to try to find room against a very talented front for Notre Dame, and that's why moving to the matchup to watch – it's going to have to be the USC offensive line against a very talented Notre Dame defensive line because, yes, the Trojans O-line has been one of their strong points this year, which a lot of people didn't think it would be, losing some of the talent they have over the past few years. But they've been great in establishing the run game and protecting Slovis this year. But this is going to be their biggest test against this Notre Dame defensive line. If you look at the O-line for the Trojans, they've played extremely well. Only five sacks allowed and and only 54 pressures over the first six games of the season. They're going to have to try to replicate that this weekend. But the interior is where they they thrive. That's going to be something to watch this weekend. Brett Nelian at center, Andrew Voorhees at guard, and Liam Jimmins at offensive guard have not allowed a sack this season and have only allowed 13 combined pressures this year for the Trojans in six games. These three guys are absolutely dominating on the inside of this offensive line. The reason this matters 
Slovis is a different quarterback when he's under pressure, and that's why this offensive line matters. Under pressure, Slovis is only completing 30% of his passes for 3.2 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, and two picks with under a 40 pro football-focused passing grade. Slovis has to be comfortable in the pocket. Luckily, this offensive line has only allowed him to be pressured on about 25% of his dropbacks, only one out of four. So this Notre Dame team has to try to increase that, get Keaton off his spot, and make him feel uncomfortable in the pocket. And that's going to be a huge key when you have a playmaker like Hamilton on the back end who will get some interceptions if you put balls in the wrong place against the secondary Now, the front seven for Notre Dame has also played extremely well. 19 sacks over 90 quarterback hurries this season, and they're going to aim to get get Slovis uncomfortable on Saturday night. And it all starts with Isaiah Foskey at DN off the edge, who leads the Irish in sacks this season with six sacks already in 10 quarterback hurries. He's the highest pass. He has the highest pass rush grade of any defensive lineman for the Fighting Irish. But then you also can't forget the other guys on that defensive line in Myron Tagovailoa, Amosa, DN, Kurt Hinesh at uh, nose guard, and also Jason um, Ademaloa at defensive tackle. These guys have combined for six sacks as well, and over 40 combined quarterback hurries led by Tagovailoa, um, Amosa at defensive end on the other side of Foskey. These DNs are legit. The weakness of the USC offensive line is that tackle spot. If Notre Dame can take advantage of that, the Fighting Irish have a very good chance to get the big win this weekend. But looking at this game as a whole, you know, at at one point, I would have thought USC could have pulled this one out. But right now, I think Jack Cohen's going to have a very good game this weekend against the USC defense that is not spectacular. It's about time. It feels like a levy about to explode. Kyron Williams is due for an explosive performance. I think Kyron Williams finally breaks out this game, but I do think Drake London and Keaton Slovis keep it close early. This is going to be a high-scoring game, in my opinion, even with how good the Notre Dame defense can be. I have Notre Dame pulling this one out 40-30 to over USC this weekend in South Bend, so a 10-point win for the Fighting Irish, 40-30. to Got headed down for a huge bit. It's it's so important. A big 12 matchup this weekend going down in Ames, Iowa. It could not only impact the big 12 title race, but also has college football playoff implications this season as we have two of the top four teams currently in the big 12 facing off this Saturday when number eight Oklahoma State travels to Ames to take on Iowa State. And it's very rare. We actually covered the Oregon game earlier this week. This is the second top 10 team who is an underdog this weekend, as Iowa State is actually a seven-point favorite over the Cowboys this weekend in a game that will kick off at 2.30 p.m. Central Time, live on Fox. So make sure to tune in for that. But let's set the stage, man. You know, talk about some storylines real quick. You have the Cowboys, Oklahoma State, entering this matchup undefeated, finding themselves in the top 10, firmly in the Big 12 race, the college football playoff race, as they have shown their ability to overcome adversity week in and week out, winning close games at all costs. It might not be pretty, but they get a, they get a mark in the win column with four of their six wins being single-digit wins and their largest win of the season only being 11 points. Now, 
Mike Gundy's squad has found a way to win week in and week out. And this game is going to be an important step for this Oklahoma State team in winning their first big title since 2012. Now, looking at the Cyclones, they come into this matchup at four and two greatly. You know, they haven't met any of their expectations in the preseason. They were. They were in the Big 12 championship last year, started out a top 10 team in the country. They're looking for a big win this weekend to really reclaim a spot in the top 25. They had two early losses to Baylor and Iowa, but the Cyclones have won two straight convincing games over Kansas and Kansas State. And with a win this weekend, really would set themselves up nicely for a chance to get to Dallas for a Big 12 championship appearance for the second year in a row where they could possibly you know, take on the Sooners for the second year in a row and, you know, avenge that close loss last year in the Big 12 championship game. You look at this series, it has a long history stretching back to 1926, but this didn't become a yearly game until the 60s. But the Cowboys currently lead this series 33 to 19 with three ties and are on a two-game win streak and have won eight of the last nine games against the Cyclones. So that's the stage. That is where we are in this huge matchup in the Big 12. Let's get to the keys of the game. And these keys of the game are going to be very similar. And I kind of structured this episode a bit differently. because so I think these teams match up like are almost exact replicas of each other. You have two quarterbacks who are inconsistent, but both have shown the ability to win the big game. You have two great rushing attacks, two very consistent offensive lines, a strong front seven and secondary that has talent, but has not always played up to his potential. So very, very similar teams. So the key for this Oklahoma State team lies directly on the shoulders of the rushing game because that was really the key last weekend in their comeback win over Texas as Jalen Warren has emerged as one of the best running backs in this conference, a transfer from Utah State who didn't even see action early in the season, and it was a bunch of injuries starting with L.D. Brown that really allowed Warren to shine in this offense while Spencer Sanders he has to be able to settle in and just be a playmaker. You have to run the ball to set Sanders up to make plays through the air and with his legs and just let him be the gamer that he is. When the, when this offense is clicking, that is the formula for Oklahoma State. Now, this Cowboys running game has improved throughout the season. They're currently averaging almost 170 yards on the ground per game. But like I said, has have fought injuries all season long. But now Warren has emerged as his top running back. Over 700 yards rushing, six touchdowns, and he is third in the Big 12 in rushing yards. And that's after not even playing really the first two weeks of the season. So really and truly, this is only in like four or so games of true action. And he has been huge. And they also suffered from a little bit of depth problems at running back due to injury. But Dominic Richardson returned last week. And I expect Richardson now kind of getting back into his groove to be a bigger part of the rotation and maybe take some of the pressure off of Warren on the ground against the solid Iowa State front seven. Now, Sanders is going to have to be a factor with his legs outside the pocket and when things break down. He's the second leading rusher for this team with over 200 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Sanders' gaming ability, you know, outside when plays break down, when he's kind of just winging it, is where he is best. You can't just keep him contained in the pocket. He's got to get out and just go make plays because that's what he does best. 
And listen, I understand the running game is important because, yes, Spencer Sanders may have may have not put up the most impressive stats. And I've talked to a few Oklahoma State people on this show outside of here. I got a bunch of Oklahoma State guys that I talked to. I know he draws the ire of many uh, Oklahoma State fans at times, but let's just keep it real here on the show, man. Sanders has just found a way to win games especially this year. And even though it might not be pretty, like I said, when it needs, when he has to get it delivered, he gets it done, especially this year. Most of all, in the second half last week against Texas, he's thrown for almost a 1,000 yards, six passing touchdowns, five picks, and like I said, three rushing touchdowns and over 200 yards on the ground. The one thing that's been missing this year, guys, his deep ball has not really been consistent enough. He only has five completions on passes attempted 20-plus yards down the field. And so what it does is allow the defense to play underneath, load the box, and that's, I'm sure, going to be one of Iowa State's biggest things to stop Warren and this running attack is load the box. So Sanders has to find his deep passing attack in this game and take some sh- and take some shots. He's only attempted, I be- uh, you know, like 8% of his passes dropbacks this year have been deep threats. The intermediate game, though, is where Sanders has thrived this year. Almost 30% of his throws have been 10 to 19 yards down the field, and he has an 86.4 pro football focus passing grade, his highest of any sort of a, any sort of passing concept. That intermediate route is where he lives. He has four touchdowns, over 20 first downs generated, and that's where he's completing over 61% of his passes. Now, this weekend, the biggest thing for Sanders is to avoid turnovers this weekend against a very strong and opportunistic Iowa State defense. This time of possession battle is going to be important with two teams who like to run the ball. It's going to be whose defense doesn't wear down. So Sanders turning the ball over, giving Iowa State more opportunities, shorter fields, is going to cost Oklahoma State the game this weekend. So the Cowboys must establish drives on Saturday. Sanders be a playmaker and also protect the football this weekend and rely on Warren to make plays on the ground. Now, the key for the Cyclones also lies in the rushing game. The Cyclones rely on Brees Hall, who led the country in rushing last season, to lead this offense and really take the pressure off of Brock Purdy in this passing game. Now, the Cyclones are averaging close to 190 yards per game, over five and a half yards per carry this season, and over two touchdowns per game on the ground, and it all starts with Hall. He's one of my favorite running backs in the country. I don't think he gets enough respect for what he does. Over 748 yards rushing, 5.6 yards per carry, 10 rushing touchdowns. He's second in the Big 12 in rushing yards, only behind Bajon Robinson, and he's tied first in rushing touchdowns in the Big 12. Now, Hall has been dominant this season off the edge. I was kind of looking at some of the how Iowa State likes to run the ball. Off the edge, he has over 380 yards rushing, over, over eight yards per carry, two touchdowns, and over 17 first downs generated off the edge for Hall, and over 13 explosive runs, 10 or plus yards down the field. So th- that shows what Hall can do if you let him get outside. He's, he has underrated athleticism and speed. A lot of people don't look at him as an explosive guy. He can make something happen if you let him get off the edge and get out to open space. Now, the run game's important. Brock Purdy is just as important as a key player this weekend because the QB battle this weekend between him and Sanders is going to be which quarterback can avoid turnovers and make those handful of, you know, those handful of plays to win the game for their team. 
He's been efficient, over 73% completion percentage, but 1,300 yards passing, nine touchdowns, the four interceptions, though, have killed him, and only 150 rushing yards this year. But along with Sanders, his intermediate passing game has been elite, a 94.1 passing grade over the middle in those intermediate routes with five touchdowns, only one pick. That's where he's made his money. And also the play-action game is so important for Purdy's production That's been something Purdy has utilized on over 41% of his dropbacks this season off the play action. He has over 600 yards passing, over 72% completion percentage off the play action, six touchdowns, and a 91.9 passing grade. And that is why the rushing game is so important for the Cyclones, because when Hall's eating, it allows Purdy to eat off the play action in that intermediate game where he is most comfortable. So that's what the Cyclones have to establish this weekend. Now, usually for the matchup to watch, I just pick one matchup, but I'm going to I'm going to go a more holistic approach this weekend because these teams are so similar. It's the offense and defensive line battle for both of these teams. Whichever team wins the line of scrimmage battle this weekend is going to be in the best spot to come away with a huge Big 12 win this weekend. Now, the Iowa State offensive line has been excellent in paving the way for Hall over the past few weeks, and they've actually been really, really efficient in protecting Brock Purdy in the backfield. This O-line has only allowed three sacks, eight QB hits, and 51 total pressures over their first six games of the season, and that's going to be a key for Hall and Purdy this weekend. You look at Trevor Downing at offensive guard, zero sacks, zero QB hits, and only four combined Four total pressures this season. He's the highest-graded pass blocker for the Cyclones, and this offensive line has a lot of experience and a lot of talent, and they're going to be key this weekend for the Cyclones. Now, flipping to the defensive side of the ball, they've done a great job against the run, less than 100 yards rushing per game allowed, and they're allowing less than three yards per carry this season. Now, they have a lot of experience in key spots on this defense. Now, the front seven has 12 sacks this season, over 50 pressures generated, and you, it all starts with Will McDonald, the fourth, on the defensive line, who has been so explosive this year. And also, I believe it's Iayoma, um, Yuwaka Zerki on the defensive line. They've combined for eight sacks, six QB hits, and 22 pressures this season. These two guys are going to be key. And both of these guys have been game records at times this this year. And this weekend, they're going to have to play big against this Cowboys offense. Now, on the other side, Oklahoma State's offensive line has played just as well. They've improved against the run over these past few weeks. And they've they've given Sanders much more consistent protection than he had last year. That was one of the knocks I had about Oklahoma State last year is they didn't protect Sanders very well. The Cowboys O-line's only allowed five sacks. 14 QB hits, almost 50 pressures for the season, and also paving the way for Warren's rushing explosion. It starts with two guys. The first guy, Hunter Woodward, at the offensive guard spot for the Cowboys, is the highest-graded pass blocker and second-highest-graded offensive lineman. And Josh Sills at the center spot is the highest-graded overall offensive lineman for the Cowboys. These two guys are the leaders of this offensive line. Only one combined sack allowed, four QB hits, and 10 combined pressures thus far between these two guys. They're going to be key. Both these offensive lines have dominated at times this year. It's going to to come down to which offensive line shows up this weekend against two very talented front sevens. Now, the last one here, the defensive line for Oklahoma State, 
They've played really well, and getting after the quarterback's been their specialty with over 20 sacks this season, 32 quarterback hits, and almost 100 pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. The Cowboys have six different players, guys, with two or more sacks, led by Colin Oliver off the edge, who's the highest-graded pass rusher on the D-line. And then Israel Antoine on the inside at D-tackle has three sacks from the middle. He's going to put pressure on the center and guards for Iowa State to go make plays and also pave the way for Hall and protect Purdy. They have some serious pass rushers for this Cowboys defense, along with some really, really efficient linebacking play for both teams, with, starting with Mike Rose for Iowa State, who is an All-American. And also Harper for Oklahoma State is also probably going to be an All-American this year. So given all this, man, I think this game is going to come down to the last second. I don't see either team being able to put up a blowout. I think this game is going to come down to the last possession who makes more mistakes and who can establish to run and make their game plan work and control the pace of the game. But right now, man, I've picked against them every time I've covered them on this podcast, man. So I feel like it's finally time I give them their respect and I got to give, I'm going to call them the mad hatter, some respect. Somehow Gundy gets this team ready. And even though they, they could play atrocious for three quarters in the fourth quarter, they find themselves in a position to win and they do I have the I have Oklahoma State winning this one with a late field goal or touchdown, 24-21 over Iowa State and Ames this weekend. I think this game is going to be a one-score game from kickoff all the way up until that 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 clock hits zero to end the game. I got the Cowboys 24, the Cyclones 21 in Ames in a big Big 12 matchup. But guys, we have our game of the week here on the Blue Bloods, which means. Comment your score predictions below. Comment who you think is going to win the game, what the exact score is going to be. And if you predict the winner and the score correctly, you will win our $50 Venmo giveaway. So make sure to comment. Go ahead and subscribe, like the video, and comment your scores below to enter our Game of the Week giveaway. And this weekend, we have one of the biggest games of the week going down in Heinz Field. It could really impact the ACC championship races. We have the Clemson Tigers traveling up to Heinz Field to take on the number 23 Pitt Panthers. And right now, shockingly, Pitt is a three-point favorite for a game that kicks off at 2.30 p.m. Central Time, live on ESPN this Saturday. And this the implications for the ACC run so deep. You got Pitt, who's currently leading the Coastal Division right now with a two and zero conference record. They only have one loss. They finally find themselves in the top twenty five. And then on the other side, you have Clemson in third place in the Atlantic, only behind NC State and Wake Forest, which are both teams who are undefeated in the ACC thus far. So this game really could be an elimination game for Clemson from contention for the ACC title, given they already have a loss to NC State, which would mean NC State would have to lose three games for Clemson to win the tiebreaker or, you know, to be above them in the standings because they already don't have the tiebreaker in that matchup. So this absolutely is one of the biggest games of the weekend just due to all the implications for Clemson, Pitt, and the ACC as a whole. Now, looking deeper into the storylines, you got – Pitt coming in, finally breaking into the top 25, and outside of an upset loss to Western Michigan, 
This team has been one of the most impressive under-the-radar teams in the country, coming off a huge dominant win over Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, and it all starts with Heisman Dark Horse corner, quarterback Kenny Pickett, who has really been quietly setting the setting the field on fire week in and week out. And honestly, this weekend could be his shot to put a lot of the experts and fans on notice to what he's really doing. But we'll get to him in just a minute. But on the other sideline, we have the Tigers, which I think it's safe to say have failed to meet any sort of expectation anybody has had for them this year. And it was just been due to injuries, inexperience, just Bad overall play at times this season, but they have the tough. They they're gonna have one of their toughest tests of the season this weekend. But they find themselves at four and two, unranked, and that this is the first time they've been a regular season underdog since 2016 against Louisville. That if if you guys don't know what game that is, that is the Lamar Jackson game against uh, Clemson. So Dabo Sweeney's squad a win here could really take a huge step forward in salvaging what they have left of the season, putting them right back into contention for the ACC title. And potentially, if they can find a way back up in the standings by getting a long you know, run of wins, they could find themselves possibly back in the New Year Six conversation. So a huge road win this weekend would be a huge step forward to that. Looking at the series history, it's actually tied 2-2. Two to two. Pitt won the first two matchups in 1977 and 2016, while Clemson has dominated the past two matchups, winning by over 20 points in both of those, including the 2018 ACC championship game over Pitt. So that's kind of the background, some storylines to look out for this weekend. We got to get to the keys of the game. We'll start with Pitt since they're the favorite. And for this team, it begins and ends with quarterback Kenny Pickett and this passing game that he has brought to an entire entirely new level this season. The, this team is averaging, guys, over 350 yards per game and almost four touchdowns through the air per game. Kenny Pickett, I've been critical on him on this podcast if you've been listening over the first few years of this show, but this season he has finally proven he, – he's finally made me a believer in what he's doing because he's playing at an elite level. And when you look at this offense – this passing game is the focal point, especially with the running game being a bit inconsistent at times. Kenny Pickett and these wide receivers have to be on their game, and this is going to be their biggest test because I don't think they've seen a secondary as talented as the, what they're going to see this weekend when Clemson rolls into town. But when, like I said earlier, man, Pickett is really a dark horse candidate for the Hosma trophy, and if we're being completely honest, I'll, we'll keep it real here on the show, he should be the Hosman favorite just based on statistics alone. And I expect this could be a perfect game to have his Hosman moment. Even though Clemson might not be as good as recent years, it's still the notoriety of that game. It's still college game day coming. And it's still, you know, right on ESPN with the whole country watching. And Kenny Pickett has his stage to have one of his Hosman moments. You look at what he's done this year, guys. Almost 70% completion percentage for almost 2,000 yards, over 11 yards of completion, 21 passing touchdowns, one pick, and three rushing touchdowns. Right now, Kenny Pickett is fourth in the country in passing touchdowns, 11th in passing yards, and third in the country in passer efficiency. 
That's what we're working with here when, when Kenny Pickett steps on the field. And right now, he has an argument to be the most talented quarterback Clemson has seen this season, even over JT Daniels at Georgia due to some of the struggles that he's had with injuries and things like that. Kenny Pickett is playing on a whole nother level right this second than anything Clemson's faced yet. And when you break it down, when you just kind of deep dive into the analytics, Pickett's deep ball has been the strong suit of his game this year. And he's also been extremely efficient over the middle with his intermediate game. And it puts pressure on so many different levels of, of a defense that he faces. And it makes them, it makes them worry about that over the top threat because they have some real playmakers at wide receiver, which we'll cover later. But Pickett's accuracy down the field is really what separates him from some other quarterbacks that we've talked about on this show. And he should have some, he should have great opportunity because Clemson has faced some injuries in that secondary in terms of depth, so there should be some opportunities to push the ball down the field for Pickett. But looking this season, on passes 20-plus yards down the field, guys, Kenny Pickett is completing over 64% of them with a 96 pro football focus passing grade. That's one of the best in the country. He is He is hitting the mark down the field, and that's something that a lot of quarterbacks struggle with. As you move down the field, the accuracy usually decreases. Kenny Pickett's increases. His strength is pushing the ball up over the top and stretching and stretching the field behind the back end of your defense. He has 12 big-time throws, eight touchdowns coming on passes attempted 20-plus yards down the field. And then in the intermediate range, 10 to 15, 10 to 19 yards, He's still completing over 60% of them with a 92.2 passing grade, five touchdowns, and over the middle, which is between the numbers, four, tu- four of those were touchdowns and three over 330 of the 560 intermediate yards come in between the numbers. He is going to attack the middle of the defense and he's going to push the ball deep on you and make you stop him. And really the only things that have stopped him this year are drops, from his wide receivers, listen, I, I saw a stat last year. Kenny Pickett led the country in drop passes, you know, on, on throws he attempted. His wide receivers have not been helping him out, but we're going to cover that in a minute. But when I look at Pickett, he has to deliver one of his best performances this weekend. If he can continue to take care of the ball, as like I said, he only had one pick this year, and he can test the back end of this Clemson defense – the Panthers have an excellent shot at winning this game this weekend and really making the statement that they are they are to be reckoned with in the ACC right up there with Wake Forest right now, who is also un, who is undefeated right now in the top twenty. But the other key guys, the rushing attack has been inconsistent, but it's been quietly efficient. And this offense utilizes the run game for a completely different reason in a different way than most teams. They only run play action about 24% of the time on Pickett's dropbacks. So really and truly, the run game runs in complement with the passing game. They're passing first and running against favorable boxes and utilizing Pickett's ability to push the ball down the field to open up some things underneath for the run game. And when you look at what they've done, averaging over 170 yards per game on the ground, they got Vincent Davis and and the Israel kid that they got at running back are two guys that are absolute problems. Israel with 347 yards rushing, five yards per carry, and four touchdowns, while Davis has put up 233 and three touchdowns. 
The key for the Panthers, though, here, and this, and I'm, I'm going to try to explain this the best I can. What NC State did is what Pitt needs to do. Yes, Devin Leary had an outstanding game, and I think Kenny Pickett could probably replicate something like that. But what NC State did is stick with the rushing attack. Yes, the average might not be great. You might be getting one, two, three, maybe four yards to carry at times, but you have to stick with it. Make Clemson honor your run game. And by the end of the game, 35 to 45 rushes is going to get you the win because eventually those yards are going to add up. I'm going to be able to wear down that front seven a bit and open up some plays down the field for Pickett, just like Devin Leary was able to push the ball down the field due to Zonovan Knight and Ricky Person running the ball against Clemson earlier this season. So this NC State game plan, I think Pitt can execute it at a higher level, but they have to stick with the run. Too many teams against stout defensive fronts. You know, you look at Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, even someone like an Iowa if you abandon the run too early and become one-dimensional, they are going to beat you. So you have to stick with the run, even if it's not run, even though even though it's not working as efficiently as you may like, you still have to keep them honest. And that's the key for Pitt this weekend. Let's move to Clemson here. They have to establish the running game. It's clear as day that the rushing game is going to be key for Clemson because that's been the biggest missing factor. Fourth is team in 2021 compared to last year with Travis Etienne and really the past three years with Travis Etienne, who is the ACC all-time leading rusher. The lack of a run game has really put Clemson in bad situations and third downs and red zone opportunities, and they only ranked 12th in the ACC with 142 yards per game on the ground. They have to run the football, and they have to take pressure off of DJ because he can, he they cannot get into just a slugfest of who can throw for more yards and who can throw for more touchdowns because Kenny Pickett is winning that battle based on any indication of this season. Kenny Pickett will beat you like that, so you have to run the football if you're Clemson Keep that pit offense off the field and wear down this defense in a big game that you have to win. And I'll understand things are so complicated for Clemson right now, especially with Will Shipley injuring his tibia just a few weeks ago. But he's going to be evaluated this week, according to Dabo Swinney, and could possibly be ready. But right now, as I'm recording, is doubtful, which means Kobe Pace is going to have to be the RB1 this weekend. And Phil, I believe it's Mafa could also find his way into the rotation this weekend like he did last week. But Pace, 300 yards rushing, three touchdowns and five and a half yards per carry, while Phil has only seen opportunities in two games, but he's kind of earning his way into the rotation. Kobe Pace has to be explosive this weekend. He has to be able to set some things up for DJ to work off the play action, to, to get some favorable opportunities on the outside of this pit defense, they could not be one dimensional this weekend because if you get into just a hook an air raid battle, you're going to lose this game. So Kobe Pace and this running back room and this offensive line have to pave the way for Clemson and win the line of scrimmage when they have the ball. Now, DJ has been extremely improved over the last two games for the Tigers, but his early struggles have really limited the offensive production for this season. And also, the offensive line has not helped him at all with 10 sacks and over 50 pressures allowed. When DJ's under pressure, he's only completing 36% of his passes with one touchdown and a 43.7 pro football-focused passing grade. The, def- the offensive line has to be 
is, is probably the biggest key for Clemson as well because not only do they have to pave the way for the rushing attack, but you've got to protect DJ in the pocket against a, a pit team that has a very solid defensive line year in and year out and can get after the quarterback if need be. So they have to step their game up. And they've slowly improved week in and week out, but it's time to put up or shut up this weekend because you have your biggest threat right now come you know really deciding if this what this season is going to mean for this program and the other key is this wide receiving core has to have a big game against this pit secondary this pit secondary is only allowing about 220 through the air and less than 56 you know uh, less than 56% of the passes being being completed against them so these wide receivers are going to have to be clutch create separation, and when DJ gets on the ball, they're going to have to, one, catch it, avoid drops, and two, make plays in open space. That's the biggest thing that's been missing from this Clemson offense is the explosiveness. With Trevor Lawrence and uh, Amari Rogers and Travis Etienne, these guys were generating explosive plays week in and week out. And, I mean, against some of the best teams in the ACC, they were putting up probably 10 to 12 explosive plays a game at times. They, They have not had that this season. DJ and this crew has not been able to create explosive plays. The wide receivers have been inconsistent in creating separation. This has to happen this weekend. Justin Ross, Joseph Ngata, Davis Allen carving his role. Th- th- these guys have to go out and make plays. Look at Braden Galloway at tight end. These guys have to be playmakers this weekend. Ross only has 282 receiving yards, three touchdowns. And got a 352 receiving over 19 yards per catch and a receiving touchdown. And got it has to be the deep threat that we all can see he, he, he can be. He has the potential to take the top off the defense. Joseph and Gata has to have a big game this weekend. And Davis Allen's been carving his role over these past few weeks. I'm interested to see how they decide to use him this weekend. But those are the keys for Clemson. But we got to get to the matchup to watch. And for me, it's the Clemson secondary against the wide receivers of Pitt. This is going to be the toughest test to the air for the Tigers, while Pitt, like I said, has not seen a secondary as talented as they will see this Saturday when Clemson uh, rolls into Hans Field. But, you know, you look at the wide receiving core, man. They have been spectacular this season, and it all starts with Jordan Addison. I've been talking about this kid for two seasons now. I think he has the potential to play at the next level. Dabo Swinney called him the best wide receiver the Tigers have seen this season. And I think this unit deserves a lot of credit for what we've seen Kenny Pickett be able to put on the field this year. They have to avoid drops, which has been their kryptonite. Like I said, they have 17 drops this season, and they cannot afford drops and to the drops to kill drops this weekend because they have to establish drops and put up points against this Clemson team. You look at Addison, almost 600 yards passing, over 17 yards per catch, and nine receiving touchdowns. He's entered himself in the Bolitnikoff conversation already, and he is having an outstanding year. While Jared Wayne, Tasir Mack, Lucas Krill, all these guys combined to create one of the best pass-catching cores in the country. I mean, Wayne has 315 through the air, 15 yards per catch, a touchdown. Mack is averaging over 16 yards per catch with two touchdowns. And Krill has five touchdowns this season, a huge red zone threat, and a huge explosive option for this wide receiving core. These guys are going to have to find a way to help pick it out this week because right now, Pickett and this receiving core are going to have to be the focal point and lead Pitt to another big victory. And this could be a huge statement game 
for this offense and get a lot of these guys on the radar of some of the, you know, of all the top analysts and scouts in the country. This is a huge test for this pit offense, especially since every time they match up with a defense like Clemson, they have failed to live up to the hype. Last year, they had some opportunities and didn't live up to it. So this year, they're putting up the numbers. This is the time to prove that you are the elite offense that you've looked for six weeks now. And Clemson, the secondary has done a solid job against the pass this year. They have the number three pass defense in the ACC with only about 200 yards through the air. They got six picks, and they're holding opponents to an ACC best 5.7 yards per attempt. So something has to give. They're great at not giving up the deep ball, and Kenny Pickett and this wide receiving core are great at hitting the deep ball. So something's got to give here, and that's something to watch this weekend. Who can establish their will this weekend? And the secondary, led by Nolan Turner, super senior safety, and then freshman Andrew Makumba has really stepped up at that safety spot while Mario Goodrich and Andrew Booth Jr. are going to be the top cornerbacks to watch. You look at Booth Jr. last year, he was statistically one of the best corners in the country. He's been playing very well this year. He's I, I really think he is going to be the guy they're going to trust to match up on Jordan Addison on the you know across from them in this pit offense. Also, at, at I want you to watch out for this guy. He's just coming back from injury. Fred Davis the second at cornerback will be someone to watch. And then RJ Mixon and Tyler Venables are some rotational guys. Venables is actually the highest graded coverage guy on this Tigers team. He can play all around. He can play all around this defense, and you know Brent Venables likes to rotate his guys around the defense. So I expect to see fresh bodies all day long for this Clemson defense, and I expect them to try to do their best to limit explosive plays, keep everything in front of them, and make Kenny Pickett in this offense move the ball methodically down the field. Because if they start just giving up explosive play after explosive play, this one can get out of hand for the Tigers. But for this game of the week matchup, man, like I said, it's a game of the week matchup. Subscribe, comment your score predictions below, and you can enter our $50 Venmo giveaway if you predict the winner and the score right. But Pitt's the three-point favorite right now, guys. I have them covering that spread. I have Pittsburgh 30, Clemson 23 this weekend in Heinz Field. Right now, I just don't trust the Clemson offense to be able to keep up with what Pitt's going to be able to put on the field. I, I think this offense is going to be able to score, you know, 25 to 35 points this weekend easily. This passing attack is legit. I think Jordan Addison has a very big day. I think they find a way to be creative, get them in the slot, get them in one-on-one matchups that they feel more comfortable, you know, him winning that battle. So I think – the scheme and what Kenny Pickett's doing this year is just going to be too much for Clemson. And I just don't trust Clemson's run game and especially the pass game right now to be able to keep up down the stretch. I think it's going to be close. I just trust Kenny Pickett not to make a mistake and lead Pitt to a huge drive to win this game this Saturday, this Saturday afternoon in Heinz Field. So I got the Panthers 30 Tigers 23, a seven-point win for Pitt. The number 10 Oregon Ducks traveling to UCLA to take on the Bruins in one of the biggest Pac-12 matchups of the season. It's definitely the biggest this weekend. College game day will be in Pasadena for this huge matchup. And you got two teams really looking to take control of their respective divisions and really make a run at this Pac-12 title that is wide open this year with all the chaos that we have seen out west already. 
UCLA is actually a two-point favorite over the Ducks right now, who are a top 10 team. This game will kick off 2.30 p.m. Central Time, live on ABC. And you're looking at the Pac-12 race. The only team with an unblemished conference record is Utah right now, going into Week 8. And both of these teams have arguments, sitting with one conference loss, that this weekend could be of utmost importance in their Pac-12 championship you know, aspirations. But... Looking at some of the other storylines, the Ducks come into this matchup clinging on to their top 10 spot, coming off a huge win over Cal on a very sneaky trap game feel type of game on Friday night. Got out with a seven-point win, and they're looking for one of their biggest wins of the season over a UCLA team that was a top 15 team just a handful of weeks ago, and they're really looking to keep pace in a competitive Pac-12 North division as they are currently tied for the division lead with their state rivals, Oregon State. So this game is extremely important for the Ducks and Mario Cristobal. But the Bruins, they had one of the hottest starts in college football, found themselves making a run to the top 10 until they lost two out of the next three games, you know, one of them to a Fresno State team that that has been excellent. And they just, they seem to have something missing. But then out of nowhere, two straight road conference wins has UCLA back on track. And they're looking to put some pressure on Utah in that division and possibly make their first Pac-12 championship appearance in multiple years now, and Chip Kelly is looking to prove that he's finally built a real Pac-12 contender down here in L.A., but looking at the all-time series, UCLA leads this series 41-30 to over the Ducks. That go, This series goes back to 1928, so there's been a lot of games played in this series. But the Ducks are on a two-game winning streak in this series and have won eight of the last nine games over the Bruins, with the Bruins' last win coming in Pasadena in 2017, and they're probably going to be looking to replicate that this weekend. But getting into the keys of the game, for the Ducks, it has to be this rushing attack. It led them to a huge upset win over Ohio State earlier this season. And when the running game is clicking, it just brings this offense to a whole nother level. And it allows Anthony Brown to really be comfortable, settle into the offense. And that's key for his rhythm and his play on the field. Because when it's when this offense becomes one-dimensional, it just does not move the ball very efficiently. So they have to help Anthony Brown at quarterback by establishing the rushing attack. And this rushing attack has been great this season. Over 210 yards per game, that's third in the Pac-12 right now. And they're averaging, as a team, over five yards per carry for this season. But the running back room took a huge hit when C.J. Verdell sustained his season-ending injury against Stanford. But the Ducks have some young talent in that room that they're going to rely on to step up. And it all starts with Travis Dye, who was really the right-hand man for Verdell early this season, 527 rushing yards, almost seven yards per carry and four touchdowns. And behind him, Byron Cardwell and Trey Benson are some names to watch behind Dow as rotational pieces, as some depth pieces as they try to work their way into this rotation. Now, Benson is just coming off an injury. Many expected him to step in last week, but they held him out at the last minute. But Kristen Ball said that he is ready to go and will be a significant part of this running back rotation this week. 
And on top of that, you also have the dynamic nature of Anthony Brown, who's rushed for over 240 on the ground and also has his own five rushing touchdowns, which right now leads the team for active players. And even though the rushing attack is a key factor for the Ducks, the play of Anthony Brown is going to be extremely important this weekend because without Verdell now, he's had to take a larger role in leading this offense, both both on the ground and through the air. And this will be a huge test to see how far he's developed in this program this weekend in L.A. But you're looking at what he's done thus far. Oh, 59% completion percentage, over 1,200 passing yards, eight touchdowns, only one pick, with over 240 rushing yards on the ground, like I said, and five touchdowns that I mentioned earlier. The number one thing for Brown this weekend, though, which he's done very well this year, is to avoid turnovers because this UCLA secondary is giving up almost 300 yards through the air. So Brown's going to have some opportunities to make some plays as long as he's efficient and can get some explosive plays going for this Oregon offense. The Ducks are going to have a great shot this weekend in winning this game. And it's weird to say because they're 10th in the nation, but pulling the upset since they're underdogs. But when you look at how Brown's made his living, it's on underneath throws in those intermediate routes. Zero to, you know, at the line of scrimmage to about 19 yards down the field is where this offense really thrives. If that's clicking and the running game's going, this offense is very hard to stop because what all that encompasses is if the running game's going, if they're getting it done underneath, they're getting it done intermediate routes over the middle, it sets up those deep shots for these talented Oregon wide receivers and Brown to really try to go make something happen down the field. But Looking at you know his passes at that intermediate to short yardage range, he's completing over 60% of them. Over 900 of his yards come from those passes, four touchdowns and a pick, and it's accounted for 45 first downs for this offense. So that shows you how important it is for Brown and this offense to get things going underneath and over the middle against this UCLA secondary. So those are the keys for this Oregon offense. Now for UCLA, kind of moving on here, it's been the same all season. If you've watched a single UCLA game, you know what's the key. And I hate repeating keys in the episode, but running the footballs of the utmost importance in this game. Whichever team establishes their running game is probably going to come away with a big win this weekend. Now, the Bruins have the second-ranked rushing attack in yardage per game in the Pac-12 with almost 220 on the ground, but they lead the Pac-12 with yards for the entire season with over 1,500 since they, you know, have played seven games with some of the other teams. I've only played six. Oregon State is leading in yards per game, but UCLA has been just dominant. You look at what they've done with the rushing attack. That was the key in how they got to the top 15. They ran past Hawaii. They ran past LSU, and then – you look at what they have to do this weekend, you have to run the ball against this Oregon defense. That's something that Oregon did really well against Ohio State, limiting at times. So the Bruins have to establish that and take some pressure off of Dorian Thompson-Robinson through the air. This Oregon defense is only allowing 130 yards on the ground per game and less than four yards per carry. So it's not going to be an easy task. But when you look at what Zach Charbonnet's done this year, man, over almost 700 yards rushing, six and a half yards per carry, and seven times he found the end zone, including that huge three-touchdown performance 
week one against Hawaii. And then you look at their their just workhorse and Brenton Brown with almost 500 yards rushing, six and a half yards per carry as well, and four rushing touchdowns. These guys are the best running back, you know, maybe not the best, as Ohio State has got some dogs, but they're one of the best running back duos this Oregon team is going to see all season. Charbonnet has reinvented his career out here in this Chip Kelly offense, and Britton Brown has really established himself as a true, you know, probably top three or four running back in the Pac-12 right now. And then you also have the threat of Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who's put up 300 on the ground in five rushing touchdowns. So they got a three-headed monster as well, and so this is going to be the key for UCLA. And when you look at how they do it, they're one of the few rushing attacks that really established themselves up the middle. The A-gaps are where they excel. Over seven yards per carry when attacking the A-gaps of a defense, and that includes over 20 first-down runs and 20 runs over 10 or more yards down the field. They are explosive up the middle. They win the line of scrimmage week in and week out, and when this offense is clicking, that's where they're going to make their living. And on the you know in the backfield, too, Let's give some praise to Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who's played some of his best football this season just quietly under the radar. He's really continued his improvement that we saw late last season when UCLA really made a run in the Pac-12, almost beat USC. He's continued that momentum, even though there's been some rough patches in certain halves and the Hawaii game wasn't great. Down the stretch, he's played really well. He's completing over 60% of his passes for over 1,400 yards, averaging over nine yards per attempt, 13 touchdowns, and only two turnovers, which is great, along with those five rushing touchdowns I just mentioned. He's on pace right now to have a career high in passing yards and touchdowns, while also right now being on pace to possibly throw the least amount of interceptions he has in, in any season of his career. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is playing at a very, very high level right now and will be another key for UCLA because he has to be a playmaker. We know Anthony Brown's going to go out there and make plays like we've seen him do week in and week out. Thompson has to have one of his best games of the season this weekend if UCLA is really going to pull the upset over the Ducks. Now, when you, you know, kind of looking at some of the advanced analytics like we did with Brown, Thompson Robinson's short game is where he lives at zero to nine yard range. He's completed over 81% of his passes underneath for five touchdowns. And that's accounted for almost 40% of his dropbacks this season. So you have to give credit not only for him being accurate underneath, he's putting the ball in a position where his wide receivers, his running backs can go make plays in open space against some of the other defensive athletes that they've faced. And they have, you got to give them credit. They've went and made plays and some guys to watch on the outside. Kyle Phillips, Greg Dulich, these guys have been spectacular for the Bruins as pass catchers, and they've turned multiple small, potential small gains into explosive plays for the Bruins, and they can make plays in one-on-one coverage if they get the opportunity. You got Phillips over 369 through the air, over 15 yards per catch and six touchdowns, while Dulich has 374, over 17 yards per catch and three touchdowns. These guys are going to have to play big this weekend. They got one of their toughest matchups that they have seen with this Oregon secondary led by Michael Wright. And also that this, this secondary under Mario Cristobal, what he's put at Oregon has been the bright spot for Oregon for two, three years now. They're, they like to play physical. They trust their guys in one-on-one coverage. So Phillips and Dulich have to go make plays. And that's the key for UCLA this weekend. Now for the matchup. 
it has to be this Oregon D-line against UCLA's offensive line. And the, it's the reason is UCLA's offensive line not only has to be tasked with winning the line of scrimmage with the rushing attack, but they also have to protect Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who hasn't been great under pressure. His pass, his passing grade, according to Pro Football Focus, drops almost 20, 30 points when he's under pressure. He They have to keep him clean in the pocket and can't have him running for his life all game. And this is by far one of the best defensive lines that UCLA has seen all season. And when you look at the offensive line for UCLA, they've played really well, but there's been a problem. The rotating door at that center right guard spot due to injuries and inconsistent play has been a problem. They're, they've moved John Gaines II back to his natural right guard spot, and Duke Clemens is probably going to make his third straight start at center this weekend since Sam Marazio's return was very short-lived when he tried to come back. But the bright spot is the tackle spot, which is so important against this Oregon defense led by Kayvon Thibodeau. Alec Anderson and Sean Ryan have been two of the biggest and most consistent pieces on this offensive line. Only one combined sack allowed, four quarterback hits, and 14 combined pressures between these two guys. UCLA controls the edge very well in pass-blocking situations, which is going to bode well against an Oregon team that is very strong on the outside of their defense. Now, that right guard center spot I mentioned – Gaines and Clemens have been two of the lowest graded O-linemen on this team. They're going to have to play much better this weekend because you cannot allow Oregon to get pressure up the middle. And we already know that this Mario Cristobal Oregon team is not afraid to bring pressure up the middle with the linebackers who are ex- who are just absolutely athletic and can make plays all game long. So you have to be ready for the blitz and you have to be ready for pressure. So got to communicate and you've got to know what you're doing and you have to execute this weekend. Now they've only allowed two sacks combined, but over 20 pressures allowed between these two guys this season, which means this is going to be a huge test for them to step up. But overall as the offensive line, you've saw what they can do in the run blocking. Everybody's stout in run blocking. You know, you don't have the number two rushing attack in the Pac-12 without having that. And they've only allowed four total sacks this season and under 50 pressures in only seven games. This offensive line has been the strength of UCLA this year, and Chip Kelly has utilized it to, you know, as much as he possibly can by running the football and letting Robinson build off of that and be protected in the pocket. This is going to be a huge test for them, but this offensive line is no slouch and probably one of the better offensive lines Oregon has seen this year. But when you look at the defensive line, we know the superstar, Kayvon Thibodeau, 10 QB hurries this year is has a 91.6 pass rush grade by Pro Football Focus, one of the highest in the country. This unit has 13 sacks, almost 100 quarterback hurries this season, and has held opponents to under four yards per carry, like I said earlier. So it's led by Thibodeau, of course, but Brandon Dor- uh, Dorlis with two sacks and 20 quarterback hurries off the other edge is someone to watch as well. And then uh, Popo Amuve at nose tackle. He doesn't have any sacks. But in terms of the running defenses, that's where he comes into play. Over 20 tackles from the nose guard spot. And he is going to have to be stout in run defense, especially with how much UCLA likes to run up the middle. If if Amuve can play his best game of the season this weekend, it's going to go a long way in establishing, you know, and really establishing what Oregon wants to do on the defensive side of the ball and lead them to the win. So that's kind of the matchup breakdown there. But for a prediction. This one was very hard for me to predict because 
I see I see why UCLA might be the favorite because they've been really hot. Oregon's coming off a loss in a very close game to Cal on a Friday. Given what I've seen from this Oregon defense and what I've seen from Anthony Brown in the biggest moments, I I trust Mario Cristobal and this Oregon team to come up with something and make a play late to win this game. I think it's going to be an extremely close game. The team who rushes the ball better and quarterback doesn't make mistakes is probably going to win the game. I have the Ducks in an extremely, extremely close matchup, 27-24 over the Bruins in in, uh, in Pasadena this weekend. So a three-point win for the Ducks. So that is my prediction here. Guys, go ahead and comment your scores below. Let me know who you think is going to win, by how much, and what your thoughts are on this extremely important Pac-12 matchup. And also, if you're new, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and go ahead and like the video and share it if you may, man. I appreciate y'all's support so much. But until tomorrow, guys, and until tonight, the Blue Bloods are out.